This is the one with the first woman to be married in Pakistan. A gold star for Ryan for attendance. A VIP country. The return of the cracks watch. A favourite granddaughter. A terrible design. But a good wedding at least. It's called Demons of the Punjab. Here we, we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek cyber zoo and wow. Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? What ho, podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Dang right it is. I am privileged, podcast land, in that I am gazing across the ether at the lovely, wonderful visage of none other than Drew himself. Hello, Drew. Hello. Hello, podcast land, and I am far more white privileged to be looking right back (laughs) at the magnificent Leon himself. Hello, Leon. Hello, Drew. Yes, it is I. Leon and hello podcast lands. Holy moly, today we uh, we are discussing a really interesting one. We're talking about Demons of the Punjab. It's another New Who episode. It's another Whitaker episode. More than a Whitaker episode, it is finally a Yaz episode. I mean, Yaz played a part in Rosa, right? And Arachnids. We met a whole family in Arachnids. Come on, dude. Didn't we also complain that she didn't have enough to do, that we didn't get enough of uh, of Yaz's character? There was There was that whole thing of like, She's a policewoman. Why is she not reacting? Anyway, yeah, I feel like she's been maybe sidelined a little bit today. If we didn't get enough of Yaz's character, it's the old showbiz trope, isn't it? The old rule, leave him wanting more. (laughs) Well, mission accomplished, BBC, because you did leave (laughs) us wanting more for quite a while. Before we jump into a B-Scout, uh, Dudemeister, high level, how do you feel about Demons of the Punjab? You mean N150? That's right. Oh, high level. <laughs> I think that I was right in remembering Nitty and or Gritty to be explored today. Is that a yay or a nay? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of shitty and a smattering of witty, so, you know, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Oh, very good. What about yourself? Your fine self. Your fine-ass self. Oh, well, thank you. I've been working out. I watched it just moments ago, in fact, at the same time as you did, I believe. And in many ways, it was just as good as I remembered it being back when it aired. Oh, yes, but how good was that? Very good. Oh, oh! And then in some other ways, there may be nitty and or gritty, as you say, to uh, explore. As a means of segueing to your flawless recall, we digest the episode in a bite-sized chunk of hay. Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call it a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. When Yaz asks to go back and see her grandmother in her youth, Doc casts aside any notion of non-interference and takes the whole fam back to the eve of said nanny's wedding. There's a fair bit of tension in the air, however. They've materialized on what is about to become the border between India and Pakistan in 1947. The groom is not Yaz's granddad, and there are alien assassins lurking in the forest. And that's not even the half of it. The local holy man who was meant to officiate has just been murdered. The brother of the groom is lobbying for ethnic segregation, and if Yaz isn't 
careful, she might reverse Marty McFly herself out of existence. Time for Doc to save her wedding, and possibly her companion. Stop the aliens, let history unfold with no intervention whatsoever, and teach us about partition in the process. Beast go over. You are welcome. <laughs> uh, aren't you just... Well, can I lead us into a teeny weeny little conversation with an introductory question that kind of uh, segues nicely from paragraph number two there? Let's hear it. Can you imagine a parallel version of this episode in which Prem falls in love with Yaz and in which she and Doc now have to plot to <laughs> rearrange their marriage before lightning strikes the clock tower? <laughs> I had not thought of that, but oh man, there's an episode Jim is rating much higher. Yeah, excellent reference. Well, no, Prem is, or Prem, he's called Prem, right? Prem, sorry. Yeah. Maybe I like it better this way. You know, I'm, you know me, I'm, I'm an old school monogamist. And I think that the fact that his eyes didn't wander for a single second is, uh, yeah, yeah, I like that they didn't go there. In fact. Oh, yeah, no, same. <laughs> Not even for the sake of a cast iron solid gold mm, alchemy in real time. Reference, would I wish that happened? <laughs> In that case, sub-question. On a couple of occasions, Doc makes a reference to the the risk of Marty McFlying, that Yaz might just be undone, uncreated, never be born at all. Yep. Yaz is somehow not a fixed person in time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. After all of their adventures, certainly not, apparently. Well, I mean, what has she done to date? You said this at the top. <laughs> this this finally fixes her in the Doctor Who universe after a whole half series of ambiguity. Uh, well, I mean, I would I would argue they've done lots of stuff. For example, they fought the Death Eye Turtle Army. Yeah, but I reckon what actually happened was that Graham handled the facial expressions, Ryan was there, Yaz asked the questions, and the Doctor helped them escape. That's surely how that went based on their adventures to date. I mean, that is uh, the likely outcome, yes. <laughs> Possibly so, Yaz also just st- stood around. But well, Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if people already had the answers in their minds unprompted without Yaz asking the questions, then absolutely she could drop out of the universe without leaving a no single one would skid notice. mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is fair. What I was going to ask was, did you feel in this episode that there was ever any sense of peril that that might happen? Oh, no. No. I, I get that, yeah, maybe I was being pointed in that direction, but no. I don't know if it's because they had so many mysteries going on and so many things to think about and so many things to anticipate and salivate yeah. over but this was absolutely not one of them and Agreed. i think it's because yaz herself didn't take it seriously didn't take any precautions against it ryan and graham were completely blase um the doctor talked at the beginning about it being so tricky even to get there and into this scenario and they should leave immediately and then they just just kept mission creeping and elongating their stay without any anxiety <laughs> That, that something bad might happen. Any at all. Surely, by the way, if any member of the TARDIS fam at this point were to sit down and look at the soles of their shoes, they would see just a smattering of dead butterflies under there. Like, there's... there's... <laughs> <laughs> 
They Smattering, to... they're on high heels at this point. They're platforms. <laughs> Doc in particular seems so, the word you used bl- before, blasé, really applies to Doc, I feel. She seems so nonchalantly to stumble over the timeline that is going to lead to Yaz in this episode. That That's never a problem, as far as I can gather. Yeah, it, it sort of hints at being a problem, and they ask questions as if it might be a problem, but then it, the converse is typical by Doc going, oh, can I officiate a wedding? Brilliant. I'd sacrifice dozens of yasses just to be at the front giving a speech. I love speeches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, sacrifice wait. 50 Ryans, a score of Grahams, <laughs> a dozen Amy Ponds. Why is there a wedding at all, by the way? I mean, like, wouldn't you reschedule it? There are, there are demons. There's political turmoil. There are all these weird people in crazy clothes that show up with magic wands. Oh, and there's strife within the family. Wouldn't you maybe go, how about we do this tomorrow? We, like, we literally have no guests for this wedding. So why, why don't we just, we could do this anytime we like. Because I've heard the gangs in the next valley, and there'll always be strife in the family, and you can't count on waking up tomorrow. So you just have to get on with things, because you're a young woman full of spunk and attitude, or hoping to be on your wedding night anyway. There's no <laughs> delaying love and committing to being the two strongest people people in the universe that is a fair argument okay yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm on board yeah do you think that, myself at the end. well do you think that the impetus for their marriage is the political turmoil no not at all because umbreen says she's waited for him for years she's wanted to marry him since before he went to fight in world war ii but this is 47 yes yeah oh yeah what have they been doing the last two so, um, so he's been back for a couple of years is what i'm trying to say like minimum oh, yeah <laughs> Like, it seems weird that they didn't do it ages ago when he came back. Or maybe they he came back and they, you know, they started dating. But it seems super duper weird to me that they picked <laughs> this exact day to do it. <laughs> like, they know exactly what's happening on this day. And then on top of what they know is going to happen, which might be slightly disruptive, there are fucking demon alien assassins in the forest. <laughs> you might want to postpone. <laughs> yeah, the same ones that were standing over the body of his dead brother yeah and he's not even talking to his wife about it a wife-to-be about it yeah Ah. i mean you certainly would postpone the very very chillaxed eve of the wedding right you wouldn't go hey all right so ladies with me we're gonna do we have some some traditions some rituals oh and gentlemen you go over there and play cards you wouldn't do that the two dudes who are well who are soldiers or ex-soldiers surely would go like there are freaking demons attacking this house we are not gonna play cards tonight no absolutely we're gonna play cards tonight because we (laughs) finally have a four and we can play hearts and we've been waiting for this for ages (laughs) it was gonna have to be gin rummy i hate gin rummy all right we'll wait till two other guys come along how long is that gonna take i don't know it could be years but this is on you buddy the chaps (laughs) <laughs> look over at Graham and Ryan and go, nope, there's only one of you in this episode. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> the other one seems to have been completely neglected and will not be any use to us as we play hearts. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you the dealer. Is. All right. <laughs> 
you have any questions you wanted to start off with? I would like to start with 31 questions. Holy moly. Okay, 31. Wow. I, I only have five more on my list. <laughs> okay. You, we... may st- you may start to notice a theme. Oh, okay. Great. Here we go. I'll keep an ear out. The first woman married in Pakistan. Did you uh-huh. know this? Was it granddad's? Why not? What's the point of having a mate with a time machine if you can't nip back and see your grand when she were younger? You all right? What are you doing here? On a farm? There's a wedding. What's happening? So what? She had a secret Hindu first husband. These are for the celebrations. Where have you seen them before? So what are we going to tell the others back there? Why don't we go and get the others to help? You know there are aliens here, right? In the Punjab during partition. And you're worried about me being gobby. What are you? Still not interfering, are we? So what is it then? So how long have you known Prim? I thought we were not getting involved. What happens here? Why does she never tell her family about any of this? Where have you been? That's a Hindu thing, isn't it? Is that Sheffield mapped on here? And you landed on Sheffield. She made it out, right? You loved Grandad, didn't you? And you're happy with how your life turned out. Really? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get it. What's the theme? (laughs) (laughs) The theme is, we can't go. I came here for answers. All I've got is more questions. (laughs) Do you think in her audition that (laughs) (laughs) every single line reading she made went up at the end? (laughs) And they were like, right, well, we're going to have to rewrite every script. Just be question after question. She simply can't make any declarative statements. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get that two of those questions were rhetorical. So maybe oh. you'd give it 29 out instead of 31. But oh my goodness. So it's an, it's an interesting trick that the BBC has played on us here, or possibly that Chibis has played, or that Vinay, Vinay Patel, who wrote this, maybe co-wrote this with Chibis? I'm not sure. I He's thought... the sole writing credit. He's the sole writing credits in the episode, and then he has co-writing credit with Chibis on IMDb, I think. Um, oh, I think IMDb just puts the showrunner... Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. No, uh, apologies, Vinay. It's an interesting trick that they've played on us anyway, because you're right. <laughs> Her contribution is the standard Yaz contribution. There's just perhaps more of it. But I still feel like I've gotten to know her more and better thanks to this episode. I think there is a little more to Yaz in this episode than what you're saying. A little bit. I'm, I'm just uh, well, echoing the, these 31 questions. These 31 questions aren't the entirety of her contribution. No. And the context is entirely hers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I've got a real opening question. Mm-hmm. Somehow, unfortunately, podcast land will weep. You have met your end alone. As you draw your final breath, you anticipate maybe two potential outcomes fade to black, or maybe you step through a tunnel into the light. But instead, two bat spider bulldogs in lordy <laughs> costumes. <laughs> they come and loom over you mere moments after they could have helped extend your life. And they shake onto you the concentrated organic remnants of their ancestors, billions of DNA fragments scoured from the seediest the Jarian motel rooms. <laughs> And how does that make you feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, enjoy that last moment of utter terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, everybody yeah. dies in complete horror. Oh, also, uh, kudos to you for the Laudia reference. That's very nice in this uh, post-Eurovision era. Yeah, that's weird. I'm not entirely sure I understand the concept behind this. Are there only two, whatever they're called? What are they called? Thajarians. Thajarians. Are there only two Thajarians left in the universe? I don't think so. They don't speak about themselves as the very last of their kind. Um, although, 
So there are just very few of them left. Although they do have that nifty holographic presentation prepared saying, we all died out, but and yet here we are. Don't ask questions. It should be... Well, maybe it's just a few of us who were out on uh, totally harmless assassination missions came back and <laughs> <laughs> realized, oh no, all of our chums have died. Now we're going to be good guys and scare people half to death. Uh, no, scare people all to death. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is an improvement. I mean, they Why? can't scare people to death who are already at the point of death. There's no movement there. No, that's true. You said they show up just as people die. Yeah. And then they scare the crap out of them. And then they raise a glass avatar to them. Effectively, they do exactly what the, whatever they were called, did. The Testimony Foundation. Thank you very much, I forget it every time. That's if they haven't already been stolen by Missy and implanted in the nether sphere. Correct. <laughs> yeah, when I say I forget the name of Testimony every time, what I mean is every single time that Doctor Who has one of these alien races, or one of these plots. Yeah, because you have to forget it, because otherwise the entire Doctor Who universe ceases to make any kind of sense. But how is it possible that they go to every single person who dies alone? That's, that isn't possible. Yeah, also define dying alone, because this guy's dying by firing squad. Okay, I have so many questions about this, and so many just fundamental... Not disagree- Well, yeah, I also have disagreements with it, but, but so yeah. is it that they go up to them before they die, or is it they go up to anyone who has has recently died and sprinkle some gross DNA on them, which, by the way, uh, hello? Or is it that they go up to them while they're still alive? Because he has just been shot. He's not going to be alive for very long. What's going to happen? Are these two uh, lordy singers just going to show up, scare everyone else away on horseback, sprinkle some shit on him, and then disappear with his head? Well, I don't know. Um... Like you, I can't even begin to make sense of it because there are so many angles and aspects of it that need explanation. And is it just anyone nearby? Because it's not everyone everywhere who dies alone. Because at any given point, there will be way too many people, even in a slightly wider radius around them, than they could reasonably go to. Certainly during wartime. Yeah, and during a whole subcontinent's convulsion when a million people are going to die. Yeah. I mean, no, I can't make this make sense for you. All I can do is pick out further holes, which is that these guys are supposed to be invisible, surely. Otherwise, everybody knows about them. I'm not sure that they are supposed to be invisible. Then why are they so fucking visible? I mean, (laughs) why does nobody know? Because the silence had an excuse. You completely forgot about the silence. And by the way, if you're calling someone the most effective assassins in the known universe, you have to allow for the possibility that there are more effective assassins in the unknown universe who are so effective they don't let you know about them. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's not even to mention the silence, who we already know about, but who don't let us know about them. And who are far more effective at anything that they do than these chaps. The uh, Or chap heads. Okay, two things. A, we've already encountered the most effective assassin in the world, or in the universe. Who was that? In a classic Who serial that you reviewed with us, The Five Doctors, we had that silver guy. Oh, yeah. The silver robot. I can't remember what it was called now, but he was like an assassination robot. He was, Uh, he was, yeah. Yeah. And, and the Scovox Blitzer. Don't forget. And him. the Scovox Blitzer, which is a piece of shit by comparison. But yeah, also that you're right, also the Scovox Blitzer. So these dudes, they, they've got nothing on them. Like, absolutely nothing. But they're one of the ancient races, so they immediately need to be accorded more respect and awe. 
Okay, well then, number two, to your point of how, why does no one see them, or like why aren't they more secretive, it's at the moment, and this is where conceptually it hasn't really been ironed out, I think, but at the moment they're meant to go to people who die alone, i.e. there are no witnesses, so they don't have to disguise themselves. They can show up in the most ridiculous outfits with enormous fangs and collars that are just going to get caught on branches. It's, like, it's it's the worst outfit ever for this kind of surreptitious work. Oh, well, but they I mean, can do that because no us, one's going to see them. Sorry, they, To us, they, they think that we look ridiculous with our madly reduced number of eyes. What the hell can we possibly see with a mere two eyes? And, <laughs> and, and what are we supposed to chew through with our tiny canines? It's like... <laughs> How did we even survive to die? We should have done them out of a job. We don't make sense as a species. And our outfits are so dull. Where's our flair? I mean, I ask myself this question every day. <laughs> In conclusion, big sigh. Would you agree with me that maybe the sci-fi element of this episode is kind of pants? I would almost go so far as to say entirely unnecessary. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Like Cicero and Cicisis last week. <laughs> sorry, Scissor Sister. <laughs> oh, there's an opportunity missed. Never mind. Um, <laughs> if you'd cut that out, you'd have had enough time to explore everything else to an adequate degree. And here, okay, I didn't feel like everything was unexplored, but yeah, just get rid of these guys who retread bits fragments billions of other you know billions of fragments of doctor who's dna to date ground up into dust and then dumped on this episode no 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 need to bother <laughs> still a good episode though right yes yes we, we <laughs> just have, i'm just we have picked the worst part to start with as <laughs> that's true <laughs> as because podcast fans would expect no less <laughs> So where do you want to go from here? Okay, reference to another Doctor Who episode. Do you remember the episode Father's Day with Eccleston and Rose? I do. That was one of the last New Who episodes that I caught up on. Ooh. In that episode, Rose, who never got to know her dad, travels back in time, oh, alters yeah, history a teeny yeah, tiny yeah, bit in yeah. order to continue having a relationship with her dad. Pete Tyler. That's right. And as a consequence, the universe starts folding in on itself and the so-called Reapers, I think they were called, show up and try to just eat reality. Yep. The TARDIS doesn't work. Nothing works. Everything is imploding. Yep. Everything requires Pete Tyler to sacrifice himself and set things straight. Wouldn't you expect maybe this episode to take a slightly different course with that in mind? Oh, with that in mind? Yeah. Like, why, are, why aren't there Reapers eating everyone the second Yaz and Co. show up and go, hey, can we hitch a ride? Because they don't change a sodding thing. As I added to the B-Scout, there is no intervention in history whatsoever. It looks like they might be about to play a part. And I suppose they complete that foursome for cards and... Maybe a little extra henna needs to be doled out on a few additional wrists. But That's fair, actually, yeah. Beyond that, it's just, let's observe a lesson from history. And okay. we'll yeah. make it seem as if history is in flux. Uh -huh, that, that word's been... <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, under threat. But no, no, there isn't even really what you usually get in Act 3 of a Doctor Who or, or any number of time travel shows. Oh, we needed to participate in this. It was us that made it happen this way all along. There wasn't even that. It was just, oh, this happened by itself. And now your nan doesn't need to tell you that story. And so you don't need to bond with her. You know, if, if she dies tomorrow, well, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, okay, that is true. So if she had run up and saved, or if they had run up and saved Prim's life, then the Reapers would have shown up. Yes. Right, gotcha. No, that's absolutely true. But the Doctor has learnt her lesson from four regenerations ago. Uh, Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This Doctor learns lessons from previous regenerations as well. Oh, okay, okay, good. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) At last, after 55 years. (laughs) Okay, thank you for clarifying that. You brought up the Nan. I did. Do you think there's any chance that the Nan recognises Yaz and her friends? See, this was what I was saving earlier in a bit oh, of a cut. Um, but it has to be addressed. I sort of expected the last scene to have Nanny reveal by a little twinkle in her eye or a little pull of a smile or just something she says that she remembers everything crystal clear and she knows it was Yaz. How far through telling Yaz the story of the watch does the silly old bag have to get before she puts two and two together? (laughs) Well, I thought at first when when she was saying, oh, I won't tell you now, I'll save the story for when you're a little older. I thought that might be a hint at like, well, you're not a little older. Older is a relative term. So you're just not at the time in your in your life, in your timeline, where you're going to go back and experience this for yourself. So I can't spoil this for you now. But then that's never picked up on. And later on at the end, when she sits down with the nan, surely that's when it should be picked up. Yeah, surely be- that's when even Yaz should go uh, recognize these henna tattoos. Yeah, the exact same design as at your wedding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the point at which Nanny goes, ah, now this is your the required amount of older that I had in my mind before, and now yeah. we can laugh about this. And I never understood how this could possibly have happened, but isn't the universe crazy? <laughs> And this is why you're my favorite granddaughter, because Sonia never bothered to travel back in time <laughs> and attend uh, my wedding. Freaking ingrate. <laughs> <laughs> why is the nan now giving all these things away? It's on her birthday. It's like, Here are some really cryptic things I'm going to give you all. Uh, here are some letters. Don't read them. Here's a watch. Yeah, it's broken. Don't fix it. I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> Here's a flower. Can't remember why it was given to me, but it must have been important. It's like, what the fuck? All right. <laughs> Nanny's lost it. We're going to have to put her in a home. Like, this is this is not working out well. Yeah. Also, that flower, that is not one of the flowers that Prem is driving on the cart to the wedding near the beginning. True. Yes, it? true. Because, no, I don't think so. Because that is a flower from Grandad. Maybe it was just too much. Maybe it got cut from a draft like, that Yaz looks at the, all the flowers at the wedding and is like, none of these... None of these are uh, the flower Sonia got, because by then she already knows Prem is Hindu and all that sort of thing. But but yeah, it's an awfully close thing to pick to then have no significance. When yeah. there's flowers throughout, <laughs> they're garlanded <laughs> constantly. Ah, Yeah, and everything else is is cryptic. And this is just, now nah, Sonia, I forgot y- you were even going to be here today. Um, <laughs> Sonia, you're the Ryan of this family. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, I got this from a petrol station on the way over and just sat on it to make it look antique. (laughs) 
Here's a flower that <laughs> your granddad gave me once. Oh, hang on, wait, sorry, I've forgotten to take the price tag off it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, dude, Pong my Ping. I've been pinging a lot here, I apologize. You have, you have, you have. I think we have to move on to partition. Partition. Well done, perfect. <laughs> because we can critique all the Doctor Who-y things till the cows come home, or indeed until our 10th year anniversary. But again, like with Rosa, this is an interesting look at history that is just about still within living memory. Yeah, true. And I really appreciated it, and it made me do some research, and I think it's something Doctor Who, you know, is good to include and to inspire in its viewership. Well, Doctor Who was originally meant to have an educational aspect to it as well. Yeah. And mission accomplished. We get that all too rarely, unfortunately, in New Who. And so far, at least twice we've... No, thrice we've had it with Chibbers. We had it in the Rosa episode, as you said. We had it here in this episode like as a whole. And we also had it with the... Um, what is dark matter and what's a particle accelerator in whatever it's called, Saranga conundrum. We did? Yeah. Oh, as in that was educational. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I got diverted into counting up the number of historicals. The witch finders can't be far away. No, that's true. That's coming up. So yeah, a nice, uh, a nice swing or shift, <laughs> which I'm very much enjoying so far. As a big fan of swing shift, yes, uh, I agree with you. And I think this would have been a very touchy subject with a billion people in the world. Yeah, certainly. So there's also an element of of um, representation, historical representation. Yeah, and also lessons that a vast number of people could stand to learn from today because these processes are still ongoing and the legacy grows ever more complicated and entrenched. Certainly, yeah. So I did a bit of research on partition. I mean, there are many paragraphs I have here. Um, You're a better man than I am. I, I didn't do this, but once again, this episode inspired me to want to. <laughs> One name you will find is a big authority on scholarship in this is the uh, professor at Kellogg College, Yasmin Khan. What? Really? Yep. That's amazing. Is it? Or did they pick the name? Maybe it's a deliberate homage. Or maybe it's just a really common first name and surname. But I mean, I think Khan is a fairly common surname. Yeah, yeah. I believe uh, one of the people who play a member of the Khan family here is actually called Khan. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm saying that only based on the fact that I went to IMDb and I saw someone yes. named Khan. It's Umbreen's mum, Hasna. Oh, there you go. Mrs. Kirst. Shaheen Khan. There you go. Most famous for and spotted by Abby as playing the mum in Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, nice. Very good. Yep. But yeah, I, I won't go through all the things I've compiled on the subject unless they come up. But yeah, they had to be fair, didn't they? And yet get to the dark heart of the matter. And some people are going to be offended just because that's the entire construct. Oh, well, if you don't parrot the same view I have, which is that one side alone was responsible and we were just offending ourselves, which is patently untrue, then yeah. then I'm, I'm going to spend a good week shouting at you in full caps online about it. So you've you got to discount them. But you've got 
the Muslim mum is is not particularly likable. She's like, oh yeah, I'll let my daughter marry a Hindu man, but I'm going to say he's cursed every opportunity. Pretty simple. You've got the the golden couple at the heart who are like pluralism and syncretism and and tolerance, for goodness sake. Yeah, and then there's the brother. Yeah, and then there's Manish. Yeah, exactly. Who represents... Who is the antithesis of the mum. Yeah. Who, who is the opposite side of the coin. Yeah. And represents the countless gangs of thugs who did rove up and down the countryside doing exactly what we get to see, hmm. pretty much. And when they pulled that trigger, I don't know about you, but I jumped. I knew it was coming, and I still jumped because the barbarity of it is right there. Yeah, it was a tough moment to watch. Yeah, it's and not in shot, but you are confronted with it. And you see what, what effect it has on, well, Yaz specifically here. I guess all of them, but Yaz primarily this person who she knows her grandmother was very very fond of someone someone her grandmother cared about and loved married mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's a blow to her family which is a wonderful bit of irony actually given that it is the family that would undo her the family that could not be her family yeah yeah, oh, yeah it's a powerful nice. moment hmm. i mean i find it powerful not even so much for the connection it has to one of our leads but just as showing on screen, you know, a big part of the human experience that is absolutely abhorrent. And without, okay, we do have the sci-fi witnesses, the assassins, but they are not causing this. They are not stopping this. It is just playing out in front of us. Brother letting another brother die because of an idea. Yeah, and the misappropriation and misrepresentation of ideas and ideologies as well in in the brother who's just about to die, who knows that he's about to die, shedding a tear and saying this is not what I fought for. He fought for an idea, perhaps, or he fought because of... Maybe, maybe even conscription, but he, he fought for something other than what is now tearing his family asunder. Yeah, and it's not hand-waved away, it's not dodged. <laughs> Prem and Umbreen aren't taken to the Teller's planet to live happily ever after. <laughs> he dies. You know what? I thought that the two witnesses, the sci-fi lordies, they undid a little bit of that scene for me. Yeah, yeah. I would rather they were there, see. quite frankly. Yeah, it didn't quite derail the scene for me, but I absolutely accept that it could have done. Yeah, yeah. And it speaks to the superfluous nature of the two lordy onlookers, as we've yeah. already discussed. Uh, agreed. Rydrunian cheesecakes, dude, Meister. What do you want to take this next? How about we talk about the lead of the week? Ooh! Let's do it. Because Prem is played by Shane Zaza. Okay. And he seems to think that a key change is the same thing as conveying the absolute essence of drama and fear. You don't need to bother with facial expressions. You just need to talk like this, and then untold horrors in your past become inescapable in the minds of the audience. And if you just clench a little bit, just just as if you're trying to squeeze out an emotion, that's really putting it on thick. That's from the uh, Richard Burton School of Clenching. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't impressed then, I gather? <laughs> How will we protect ourselves? Like we learned nothing in the war. No, I wasn't. What did you think? No, I think probably not. Much of the, that acting was... 
just playing to uh, uh, archetypal emotions. Like th- th- there wasn't much in the way of personality or character being communicated there necessarily. It was just sad, angry, sad, angry. Um, Good man, sad past. Don't give him any idiosyncrasies. They'll only muddy the waters. Sort of putting on a different Greek mask, but then not necessarily uh, intoning anything differently. Yes, yes, that's a great way of putting it. I'm only formulating this opinion in hindsight, I should point out. I didn't necessarily, like, I wasn't disappointed by his performance when I was watching it. Okay, so satisfactory on first view. Yeah, I think so. Or indeed second, (laughs) years and years after the fact. (laughs) Yeah. Any other actors that uh, stood out as either stand out or not? I had more time for Manish's performance. Okay, he had more scenery to chew, and he got to be very threatening at the other end of a rifle. Hamza Jitoa. He's also a way more interesting character. Yeah. I mean, that's a much more interesting role to tackle as an actor, because there's a massive range of emotion that he needs to convey. Ah, but he doesn't get to cry. No, he doesn't get to cry. (laughs) That is true. But he rides that full gamut of incredibly charming, perhaps even promising being a little too charming, to, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you just did this to your own brother, you horrific human being. That's quite impressive. I think he does a good job. Again, this is all in retrospect, but I want to say he did a great job. Yeah, he handles the progression very well. Now... I think the progression is also well managed by the writing. He gets to appear first off and he's like, I don't really know you yet. In fact, I'm not even sure what religion you are, so I'm prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, it becomes increasingly clear he's been listening to shouty men on the radio. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, no, no, I know exactly where the border's being drawn. Uh, hang on, just a second. He flicks on the radio to InfoWars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Did you think in the beginning when he shows up, he shows up like seconds, I want to say seconds after Yaz says, oh my goodness, that's not my granddad about Prim. Right. And then, he, So he shows up and he has the biggest, most charming smile on his face. Like it is before he runs off to listen to the radio. Yeah. And we're also like a good couple of scenes away from realizing what it is he's listening to on the radio. Like what his ideological standpoint is. Did you think perhaps that they were insinuating he might be the granddad? I mean, I'd have loved to have picked up on that possibility. I am not as imaginative a viewer as you are, clearly. Um, They're all a, as misinformed, because that is immediately where my head went. Ah, but what a character dangle. Yeah, if I were a, a donkey leading a cart, I'd be chomping after that. <laughs> or indeed a cow, uh, as in this episode. Indeed. <laughs> Which, just a tiny bit of trivia, would have been leading this cart in Granada, Spain. Really? It was This was shot in Granada? Yep. Oh, interesting. I've been there. Oh, have you? Oh, Did you bump into to Uncle go. Malik? Wait, Uncle Malik? Well, yeah, because he lives there, apparently. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that character whom we never see. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yaz was resourceful in that moment. Yes, very resourceful. Well done. Mm-hmm. Is there actually an Uncle Malik, or did she... Because that is also immediately reciprocated with everyone has an Uncle Malik, or like everyone's named Ma- Malik. Do you think she literally just went, uh, you know, the equivalent of, oh, we're, we're John's mates, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Big Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a mate named Dave. <laughs> yeah, we're friends with Dave. And you're a Sajir Cancer Libra, right? Let me tell your <laughs> Pakistani horoscopes. like... <laughs> You have an Uncle Malik. I do. 
Also, we haven't told anyone about this wedding coming up. How does Uncle Malik know that it's coming up? Why is he sending a delegation? Uncle Malik knows everything. That is classic Uncle Malik. Classic Mal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, we've talked to his team, but we haven't tackled the leader of said fam, of said team. Do you want to talk uh, Whitaker? Do you want to talk Doc? We must. Start us off. How do you feel about Doc? There are lots of positive notes mm-hmm. about Doc in this. They didn't all come together for me to sum or total an all-time classic Doctor performance. But lots of nice little flourishes. And, well, I mean, one of those flourishes is when um, Yaz gets herself deeper involved by being like, yeah, I'll help. And the Doctor mouths, like, at the screen, her expression of, well, it's... yeah. It's sort of schoolyard, but it really fits. It's like, oh, you Agreed. rotter. Love it. <laughs> I thought she did. I thought she approached the gravitas of previous doctors when she was transmatted away by the Thajarians. And she was like, you're here to assassinate me, aren't you? And in previous series, absolutely, they would have been. Mm. But then they're like, no, not at all. Let us spend the next five minutes explaining why you are unimportant to us. Incidentally, in fact. <laughs> Sit down and behold our PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Mm. So I think if the Doctor had perhaps been given a little more centrality to the story, rather than being a device for the time travel necessary, then yeah, I'd be singing her praises more than I am. I wonder if Whitaker is... <laughs> I want to frame this as a compliment. How do I do this? Okay, so here's the thing. I, I think we agree the sci-fi element of this episode is not very well founded. It's not very... It's not ironed out. It's not really established. It's not great founded and it's not great integrated. Yeah, agreed. I wonder if that is to Whitaker's advantage. Oh. So, so I, I think Whitaker, maybe her acting chops lend themselves best to. It sounds so mean. Like it, they lend themselves very well to melodrama. And that is perhaps what the doc touches on most in this episode, in this kind of episode, in fact. Mm-hmm. And consequently, I find her her performance here less grating on me than it often is. Like if it's set in space, I, I will be really annoyed by it because there's perhaps less scope for melodrama and more scope for being a doctor, which I still don't really feel that she is. But then on a couple of occasions, like the one that you pointed out, she's great. In that regard, I'm quite happy with the 13th Doctor in this one. Yeah. When does she touch on melodrama, Leon? When is her melodramatic acme? (laughs) All of her interactions with Yaz in this one, where she talks about what mankind is capable of or what she needs to do and she just needs to lean back and watch history unfold, regardless of how painful it might be, there is an element of melodrama to her performance, just an element of like, everything is so incredibly sad. I'm gesticulating podcast land. In a very Jodie Whittaker-esque apt manner. Thank you. There's very little problem solving on the Doctor's part in this episode. It's very much a, no, lean back, let's just watch this unfold. Yeah, and she goes to try to problem solve by facing down Manish's rifle barrel. Yeah, that's foolish, by the way. What? I don't think it's any more foolish than previous doctors. Like, uh, previous doctors would... They didn't know that he had it necessarily and that he was cocking it right then and all that sort of thing, getting ready to fire. I mean, he doesn't use it in the rest of the episode. 
But she knows that he's murdered a guy. Yes. Yes, she does. But she's taking the chance of appealing to uh, maybe in the act of committing that first murder, you experience some regret or some doubt after Mm. the events. And maybe I can play on that. But there's nothing in him to work with, which is both a good thing because it's very true to the ideologically brainwashed and, you know, inculcated and what have you, Hmm. um, who now live entirely for the cause and will not listen to reason as long as there is confirmatory bias pumping into their heads from the shouty men on the radio and the riders on the horses. But it is also a negative in that this is perhaps the fourth episode out of six in which the female doctor ends up having to be really passive, which Tracy pointed out the second time it happened. We had it in Ghost Monument. Uh, no. The thing isn't here. Art Malik's buggered off. I guess we're going to die. And then in Rosa, well, we just got to watch all this play out. We can't do anything. And Arachnids, oh, well, of course you're in charge, Mr. Big. And here again, uh, yeah, can't do anything with history at all. We're just observers of observers. We're twice removed from agency. Yeah, it turns out they're the ones who watch The Watchman. So the... Yes, dude. But I think in this episode, the way that she shows true agency, or she would show true agency, is not by acting, but by holding Yaz or persuading Yaz from acting. You know, she would be succeeding in what Eccleston failed at. She would hold Yaz back and, like, no, don't intervene. I know this is difficult. And she would, her action would just be. Uh, oh damn it would just be connecting with Yaz on a higher emotional level than uh, for example Ronin or Graham or whoever else yeah. is present at that point yeah and would make be capable this, of make this the beginning of their special relationship bingo yes you bingo out, you cut out the Thajarians so we have an extra five to ten minutes in the episode and Yaz experiences a third dimension my goodness she's not just worried about her own self-preservation how do I get nanny to my granddad she starts to feel conflicted like obviously these two they are so nice together and and we can't let prem die and yes maybe i will try and intervene much more than she tries maybe momentarily i can't remember if she even does um the doctor doesn't seem to have to talk her down from any you know ledge of intervention i don't know yeah have it out there add some more emotional heft retro rewrite there you go Substitute the watchers with a little bit of humanity. Yeah. Or yeah, a little more humanity, if you humanity will. Humanity is crucial to this episode. That's another axis, because the, how we lose sight of one another's humanity, you know, how Manish loses sight of it necessarily obscures it because the red mist comes down as, ironically, the red shading is erased from the map. And have her not be able to see Prem as anything other than a historical curiosity until she does. And then the tragedy is much more heightened. Yeah. It's either the writing or possibly the the production of this episode. Whichever one it is, it relies a little too heavily on the contrast between them and the Lordies for that added humanity. Like the only thing that really accentuates their humanity is that they don't have fangs in that scene yeah but it's also a risky tightrope to walk because these the jarians okay they're a bit sort of institutionalized in a way and like oh well this is what we do now 
Um, and we think it's a good idea and we're, and we're not questioning it. Um, but it's a very humane thing that they think they're doing, as we've discussed. It's actually freaking terrifying. Potentially. Potentially, because we don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, they might be walking up to Prem's dead body after everyone else has disappeared and doing their thing. And what, shaking, out their, shaking out their planet's cremated ashes on him and saying, yeah. now you mean something because we've dropped our detritus all over you yeah i mean like it's it's less of a we're gonna take a we're gonna make a glass avatar of you and more of we're paying our respects right okay i i get that that there is some sort of respect of like ah as as our culture has died we we put you on the same level by intermingling you in this weird ass way but it also feels like dogs marking their territory to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's we're, we're wholly gonna, uncool. Yeah, we're going to cock our history's leg over your, your prone <laughs> corpse. You can't do a thing about it. Your species also has traditions around about this time in your life lifespan, right? Yeah, we don't care. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to sprinkle some weird LSD shit on you, and then we're going to turn you into a holographic lantern. Done. Uh, but the joke's on them, because when they die, Ow. the Testimony Foundation <laughs> scare the shit out of them. And they're like, oh no, I see too late our folly. <laughs> this is horrible. What a horrible universe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. <laughs> How about we take this in a more technical production heading? Oh, do let's. I want to ask you this because I know that you're much more in tune with this, no pun intended, than I am. But I want to ask you about soundscapes in this episode. Is it about off-screen snogging? No. Plenty of that. Oh, oh, gross wet mouth sounds. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> Not just that. I mean, like the the soundscapes of just the ambience, the atmospheres that they create, and mm-hmm. the music to to a degree. Yes. How did you feel about them? Oh, I loved the uh, the Punjabi touches with the oh, okay. uh, with the tabla and then and then driving an action scene. Like I'm sure they do it in Bollywood all the time, but I hadn't seen it really, and uh, yeah, it uh, had me on board. Hmm, okay. Why were you not convinced? I I wasn't entirely convinced. No, I I, I feel like it was. It it vacillated between being either very on point, and that's really for those more exciting scenes, like running through the forest scenes, where you have the drums and there's there's a more of a rhythm to it, and it was very fitting. Mm. But then for most of the rest of the scenes, I felt like the soundscape, the general soundscape that they added, was one of mysterious and oh, exotica. It was just too like everything was. Everything was too mysterious. Even in the very introduction, that's where my first note about this shows up. In the very beginning, the conversation between Yaz and Doc before they've even gone back in time, the and when they're talk when Yaz is chatting with her her nan, I think as well. In the background, we are being we are being told this is a very mysterious scene, and it really mm. isn't. Like it really isn't, guys. Like just no. <laughs> you're having a heartfelt conversation with your nan, and then you're having a happy-go-lucky conversation with the doc, in which you're trying to say, "Hey, come on, can we go back and see my nan?" Yeah, we shouldn't. We will. Yeah, done. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it it shouldn't seem as though we're meeting on the middle of a bridge at midnight. Yes, that is too precipitate, too early. They, yeah, I think were so. composed for the show. I'm like, we got to use it. Potentially, I mean, maybe I'm <laughs> just being nitpicky here as well. But in overall, yes, I agree with you. I, I I like that they they had music composed for this that was 
um, that seemed to fit the scenes that they were, like, in general, seemed to fit the scenes that they were being played in. Yeah, there were it just was... some of those soundscapes that grated on me. Well, it must have only been fleeting because I made a note that within the first 10 minutes, they did a fantastic job of setting the scene, establishing the characters, yep. both Nanny in the present and the whole Punjabi cast in the past and teasing two mysteries. One yes, of which absolutely. is, yeah. Um, well, I don't need to say two because I've forgotten which two, but the fact is there are two. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was thinking at that point, wow, how do we pad out the other 40 Fajarians? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've already established what our preferred retro rewrite for that would be, but okay. Yeah, uh, but what I'm saying is if they had kept up the efficiency of those first 10 minutes, we, I'd be rating this so high. Yeah, I know. Ex- I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Okay. I have two points left. Okay. Go for it. The first is just an observation. I laid into Prem earlier, played by Shane Zaza, but I really did like him at the beginning when he was dry and understated when he turns up on the cart and he's like but we agreed and you have to fill in the dots that there'd be no family at the wedding and of course she's secretly gone behind my back on that and he's there's a very slight little eye movement oh dear oh but i do love her so and and they ask him are you a flower merchant he's like pretty much right now because that's what he's been doing for a week and and later on, you might want to keep that parentheses being English to yourself right now. I really like the level at which all that was pitched and he delivered it really well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I really also, I, I don't want to, uh, uh, I, I don't want to dump on all these actors for for the performance that they're expected to give in this episode they by and large over deliver like they 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 go above and beyond what they need to do yeah i was all ready to be like the guy who played pram wasn't very good and the woman who played umbreen she was just attitude and there was nothing more but watching the episode no not at all she delivers in all sorts of ways she was good um, and i really liked uh the sincerity and the f- the nascent fear that built in her when she was she was saying such nice things about Manish and just coming up against his new hardline personality and it's yeah really tasty <laughs> yes yeah yeah the thing that I was going to say the subject Graham and Ryan we haven't really dealt with them that that was my going to be my final point as well I, or specifically Graham really and I guess by comparison Ryan but but only in his absence. <laughs> I felt that Graham had a few really lovely, incredibly heartfelt scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it solidified the relationship that he has, I'm assuming, off screen with Yaz, because I don't know that we get to see it on screen all that often. But I, I felt that those two really care about each other. They are good friends in the fam, as it were. Yeah. Uh, and he's such a good guy. And by the way, such a good actor. Oh, Absolutely. I continue to be amazed by him. Yeah, despite having seen this all before and knowing it in advance. Yeah, uh, yes. But then by comparison, Ryan is the chap that I'm sure at the time I was thinking he's being set up to like Yaz, like maybe he wants to interact with her more. Maybe that I don't know if it's mutual or maybe they're leading up to some sort of romance or whatever it might be. But they're peers. They they went to the same school. They are the same age. They, they clearly, they are friends. 
he's the guy you would expect to have conversations with her about this sort of stuff and he is nowhere to be found i mean he's nowhere to be found full stop yeah yeah i remember later on it was around the um lone cyberman part of series 12 so way near the end and Mm -hmm. graham tells yaz how special she is and that comes off the back of interactions like this yeah so it's nice that we are seeing some and there will be some sort of through line there however tenuous it's there yeah they're building rapport yeah ryan on the other hand he needs to get to a point where he calls graham grandad and I would really have liked to see some reaction shots of when Graham is acting his ass off, (laughs) connecting with Prem before his wedding day, like emoting, like he's fully aware of the scale of the tragedy. This guy is doomed. He is fated to die imminently and his joy will be as brief as it gets. And he's still building the guy up and he's, He's cracking jokes, and Ryan should be looking at that thinking, yeah, yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm a bit empty-headed, and I shouldn't be such a twat. But no, there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing at all. Also, this is an episode in which Yaz builds a foundation for her relationship with her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Ryan, as you said, his arc is about building a foundation with his pseudo-grandfather. Yes, The conversation that they have whilst playing cards could very easily have pointed at Yaz and Yaz's connection to the family, where someone, maybe Prem presumably, yeah, because it's only the four of them there, isn't it? Will say, well, what is her connection? Who's Uncle Malik or whatever? Mm -hmm. And maybe there'll be just a a slip of the tongue and Ryan says something about, yeah, her grandmom. Oh, her grandmom. So is she close to her grandmom? And then there'll be a conversation around how we're very close to our family. He lives with his mum, potentially, on, on, on this farm. There's an element of tying everyone together. And there is Ryan sitting across the room from Graham. And Graham mm. will look at him as Ryan is forced to concede all of these qualities of family. And yeah. slowly but surely, they are pushed together. Their relationship is finally founded. But that yeah. is not happening here. It's a squandered opportunity. The only positive is that Graham doesn't reach out for a fist bump this week. (laughs) So it's the absence of a further negative. Otherwise, Ryan is so sub-yaz this week. Oh my goodness, yes. But, But he usually is as well. I mean, just as a character... He doesn't yeah. have that much going for like just on paper, with, without ever having seen them on screen, just looking at those two character sheets on paper, Yaz's character has so many advantages, is so much more interesting. Yeah. Oh well. He does um, get a gold star though. Oh well, well done. <laughs> and he does get to say, Hey, that worked when a data display screen very visibly pops into life in the middle of the room. <laughs> Well, it's in his contract, presumably, that he needs a line. (laughs) 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 Right, any uh, last points before we try to rate this? All I will say is that I liked the uh, twirly-whirly transmat effect. Yeah, uh, agreed. It it was different. Yeah, it spun people in and out of existence. It was unique, and I'll probably forget it before the next time I see this episode, and then I'll be pleasantly surprised again. Right, shall we rate this? Let's! And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings! 
this series is giving us an unstinting tour of some of the darkest sides of humanity, as close to the present day as it dares, just within living memory, all dressed up in a family show, and I think it deserves real credit for that. At the end, we have Manish watching his only remaining brother, his older ones already died in the war, be gunned down for betraying his religio-ethno-nationalist cause, and it doesn't get more horrific than that, or more prevalent, or more relevant. And there must still, even now in 2022, be some people left alive today who witnessed and participated in that. As Neil from the Young Ones would say, heavy, heavy, heavy. (laughs) The acting is mostly good. Um, It continues to look just splendid. Um, We talked about the sci-fi element is perhaps a drag. A, A negative overall should be taken out, replaced with our spiffing retro rewrites. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there are those minuses, and Ryan does nothing, and but Graham is great. The Doctor is pretty good. Most of the cast, nice. It's a good one. It is. Perhaps it's not quite up there with Rosa, but it's close. So I'm going to give it high threes, 3.8. Uh, amazing. Okay, good stuff. Very nicely minied. I have not prepared anything as per usual. <laughs> I, ha- I have some bullet points and that's it. I'll run through my categories as I as I want to do. Doc, uh, as I said before, she vacillates between very good and somewhat annoying for me. But as this isn't a Doctor episode, I don't really mind. Companions, that's kind of what I want to focus on. Yaz, holy moly. She gets to act her socks off in this episode. Such a, <laughs> I thought range of emotions was being conveyed in this episode maybe it's worth re-watching it <laughs> just so that i'm entirely clear if that is actually true but regardless i i, I love yaz in this episode I, I i find yaz increasingly interesting as a character and that's coming from a point of view where i found her super interesting even from the get-go graham also i i mentioned this in passing he has a few very lovely moments he shows a lot of heart uh what i'd like to see is a, a graham equivalent episode in which they go back to the bus depot that he started his career in and he's like <laughs> that minivan isn't my bus and then they have to have a whole episode around that yeah. <laughs> secret backstory ryan i don't think he was in this one the four this time isn't uh the pair of alien ex-assassins nor is it some laser beam aimed at the sky uh, no the call is coming from inside the house the whole time it's people it turns <laughs> out it's us uh, <laughs> and that's kind of the way i want it to be in a pseudo historical as you pointed out earlier though i'm not entirely sure this needs to be a pseudo historical this could just be a straight up historical yes, and please. maybe that would that that would just take more advantage of the character potential and the historical story potential that we have here yeah doctor who has hamstrung itself by saying we need to have an alien every single week exactly yeah Production value is terrific. I mean, gorgeous location shots, good effects, music, etc., etc. Even the food, as Neil from The Young Ones might have said, lentils, man, lentils, lentils. (laughs) (laughs) Greatest asset is Yaz. Biggest flaw is that they apparently forgot Ryan and the TARDIS. In summary... Only the sci-fi elements of this episode are underwhelming to me, but I choose to view it as a non-sci-fi episode. So it's a standout episode for me that actually delivers on that classic Who promise of being educational as well as entertaining. And I want to say, I originally wanted to give this a 4.0. Then after our conversation, I rated this down to a 3.8, which is what you gave it. And right before you started your mini, I was like, no, this is worth a 4.0. So 4.0 from me. (laughs) 
Well, there are far too many reviews where it's just us two and we coincide exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> two peas, one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that marriage ceremony was very nice and touching. Maybe I should give it point two more. I might be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just untie the rope, Doctor, rather than sonicking it. For goodness sake, it would take you less time to... Ah! Yeah, and also, why is no one going in that, in that during the wedding? Like, wait, what is that? Is that some sort of weird rope remote control? Like, what is that also what's a remote control what's happening <laughs> we're getting married stop trying to steal the show doc <laughs> yeah maybe all your references to gender and uh, bodily regenerations aren't just a comedic act <laughs> oh, oh hang on hang on oh. hang on there is one line i meant to draw attention to that i really liked oh yeah might have slipped some people by but i it really struck a chord with me is when prem and manish are talking and Prem saying, we didn't change when a line was drawn. And Manish says, but we did. And it's so simple. And it cuts to the heart of it for me. I love it. Bravo. Uh, bravi, in fact. Bravo, Vinay Patel. How about we have a listen to what Podcast Land has to say about this episode? Long overdue, let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. We've got not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. JK, we've got six listener minis for this episode. Holy smokes. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> uh, on, just carry, carry the one yeah, that's the yeah, right. yeah i think that was six <laughs> first out the gate holy moly we've got kieran evans hello kieran what's up kieran kieran starts hi folks ah we come to this one probably my favorite of series 11 something that i forgot to mention in my review of rosa was that the episode just hadn't clicked with me while this one does Still no cold open, queries Kieran. Does Series 11 just not do them, continues Kieran, much in the fashion of years. <laughs> I can't remember, but it just feels weird without them. Death-Eyed Turtle Army? Sounds interesting. Yeah. Shame you can't see that one. But, oh well, I suppose that's par for the course. I do like how the companions have become a little cynical of trips in the TARDIS and the risks that may occur. That's nice. Considering what normally happens when Doc and co visit somewhere, cynicism is weirdly not the go-to response. Anyway, continues Kieran, so we have Yaz deciding she wants to delve into some family history and getting more than she bargains for. The misdirect of our creepy alien presence is done fairly well, though I slightly dislike the jarring distortion that the Doctor gets. It just feels unnecessary. But anyway... Yes, the real bad guys are humans being human. No need for a time-traveling spacist greaser here to move the plot along. No, the concurrent characters are more than enough to cause all the issues that are needed. I like time-traveling spacist. Yeah, spacist is an, is an excellent term. Yeah, very much. <laughs> Prem sacrifice and the sequence as a whole. Wow. And Kieran concludes, maybe if I'm being critical, a little less of the aliens and more yes. Mm, it's mm. her story after all. But beautifully shot and a very emotive score, Kieran rates this 4.1 out of 5 family secrets. Oh, excellent. Here's our friend who agrees with us. Excellent mini Kieran. Thank you very much. Uh, people who are not Kieran, please high five Kieran online and tell him how much you agree with his mini. Uh, Kieran can be found where, Drew? At KJ Evans 2. Correct. <laughs> On Twitter. Who's next? Thanks, Kieran. Yeah, thanks, Kieran. And thanks, prospectively, to Andy Parkinson. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am the start. Hi gang, wow, just wow! Nuhu is certainly no stranger to tugging viewers' heartstrings, but Demons of the Punjab rips the strings right out and dances around their corpse. <laughs> wow, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Finally, Andy continues, we get to find out more about Yaz, and boy does she shine here. Set against the backdrop of the partitioning of India, something I freely admit I know too little about. Same. Isn't that the same for all of us, Andy? Yeah. It's a story about a love that gives such hope, but is ultimately doomed. A family in conflict due to the tumultuous upheaval. Oh, and some 49 space crows. <laughs> Crows, you got crows out of them. I I totally see it because of the it's the feathers right by the lapels right. or by the collar, right? Okay, nice. Oh, 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 oh gross. And it continues with some absolutely brilliant performances by the guest cast, most notably Shane Zaza and Hamza Jetoa as Prem and Manish, as two brothers at loggerheads about the future. There's also the stunning scenery that provides a majestic backdrop to the story. Murray Gold's score is brilliant. Wait, it's Murray Gold? I'd be surprised, but... I thought it wasn't Murray Gold anymore. I, I thought we had a completely new uh, composer. I thought so, too. Let's put a pin in that and let's double-check it. But Andy does say, Murray Gold's score is brilliant, perfectly underlining the story and never overwhelming it. Bing Bong present Drew and Leon here. (laughs) 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 Drew has just checked the end credits on iPlayer, and was it Murray Gold? It was Alec Roberts. Alec Roberts. Still, Andy, totally agree with you. Very nicely underlining the story. Ah, but do you agree with this? Andy continues, if there's one downside, it's merely that the TARDIS team don't actually make a difference. If they hadn't been there, nothing would actually have changed. So really, they're just observers. Uh, Yes, I do agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, me also. For Andy, though, it's a minor niggle in an otherwise great story. I don't normally enjoy stories that don't have a happy ending, says Andy, but Prem's tragic death is handled sensitively without becoming schmaltzy. Yaz finally gets a chance to shine, and Graham gets plenty of nice little moments. I like the twists where we think that Thijarians are the bad guys, but turn out to be good. And Andy awards this episode... 4.1 4.1 shop bought birthday cakes out of five. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and an excellent rating. Yeah, here's our friend who agrees with Kieran. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. People who are not Andy, what are you doing with your lives? Please go and follow Andy online. He can be found aware, Drew. At Caffrey's 71. That's 71, the number. Thanks, Andy. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Daniel. Daniel. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Hello, yeah, I'm Daniel. Sure that worked out great. <laughs> Daniel McGinn's with a few thoughts this week. <laughs> it gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> the episode looks great. Some beautiful scenery. Mm, beautiful. Is it bad that this is one of the few positive things I can find each week? Oh no. <laughs> Daniel continues, it's Yaz's time to shine, but the story doesn't add very much to our knowledge of her. Sure, we find out some family history, but there's no real character development that you'd expect from a story focused so heavily on a companion. Maybe, just maybe, she doesn't have one to be fleshed out. (laughs) (laughs) 
possible great point, Daniel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great point pending. One episode to go. Maybe they'll pull it off. Despite arriving the day before, the fam make up most of the wedding party. Where are the rest of the guests and family members? Yeah, good I mean, point. They agreed to keep it pretty secret. What I would question, Daniel, is where is the rest of the inhabitants of the valley? Yes, that's also a super good point. It's one of those cases of like, look out onto the horizon. As far as you can see, all of this is yours. What? (laughs) (laughs) Everything that light touches. (laughs) Daniel continues, the doctor is okay in this one, but is again so inconsistent with previous takes on fixed points in time and interference. One minute, don't change a thing. The next, actively getting involved. Consistency, please. It's too late for that, in my opinion. In the sense that they've already failed? In the sense that they've already run the gamut of possible things they should, shouldn't interfere with, should leave well alone, don't leave well alone. Like, I just motivate it adequately. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. you need, Frame it in some way that justifies it, that caveats the entire previous half century. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the model in that regard is the end of series six, isn't it? Where River Song and the Doctor just screw up the entire universe because those oh, are the stakes. Oh, yeah. Big Bang. And all of time happens at once. Yeah. It's not Big Bang, it's the season after that, but... Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah. The Wedding of River Song, perhaps. Uh, I'll put a pin on it and check it out later on. Yeah, yeah. Daniel liked the line, you could interfere yourself out of existence. That was the line I was thinking of before. Nice <laughs> line. Yeah, yeah. And the frequency is really picking up now with four mini moralizing lectures this week for a season total of 12. Thank you so much for keeping track of this for us, I'm Daniel. So, I'm so pleased that you are, Daniel. This, this is great stuff. <laughs> Daniel concludes, like most of this season, it just doesn't feel like Doctor Who and the stakes are really low. Back to the future, it ain't. Oh, but so nearly. <laughs> There's not even a proper baddie. Yes, racism is terrible, but it's no Dalek side Man or Scorebox Blitzer. And Daniel gives this 1.9 out of 5. Wow, there's the balance. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Daniel. Great review, Daniel. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Sam Dunhamall. <gasps> that sounds to me like a. Hello, Sam. Welcome, 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 welcome aboard. Fantastic to be walking down this temporal road with you. Oh, yay! I was waiting for you to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Sam begins. Dear Who Back When, I have been listening to you for a long time and wanted to give my own review a go. So here it is. Finally, about time, Sam. (laughs) Demons of the Punjab. What an interesting episode. It was a cool episode with a lot of promise, but was let down like a number of Chibber's episodes by the writing. Interesting. Sam thought the Vajarians were good and looked awesome, and the idea of exploring a new part of history that hadn't been covered yet, to Sam's knowledge, was fresh and new. Because of this, Sam was happy to give it a solid 4.1. As indeed was everyone else, apparently. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) true. And I, I think Sam's totally right. This hasn't been covered by Doctor Who to date. Sam continues, now it's time for the things I didn't like. Firstly, although we did get some interesting character development for Yaz, 
it seems a bit odd to me. She seems to respect her grandmother, so why would she be devious and outright go against her grandmother's wishes? It seemed a bit odd to me. Secondly, the Vajarians. From the start, you have some idea of what the moral of the episode is, which is okay as long as it's subtle. Here, like Rosa, Orphan 55, and so many others, it is not. You can see that the moral is, don't judge a book by its cover, as for once, Doc gets the situation wrong and judges them incorrectly, which I think was a bit dumb, as it's very inconvenient how they just decided to change their morals, but okay, Vinay Patel. <laughs> Sam had huge flashbacks to the testimony from Twice Upon a Time indeed yes. as the Vajarians seem to do something very similar Absolutely. Oh holy moly yes and Sam concludes lastly the biggest issue I have with this episode is this how did the Sonic Doc or any of the companions not realise that the holy man had been shot like Come on! How can you not see a bullet hole or even any blood? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, oh. The Vajarian planet dust serves as embalming fluid and... Uh, oh, and then it cauterizes the, the, the wound. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. it launders the clothing. Yeah, it gets them perfectly prepped for the funeral that they should have received. Right. You know what? Respectful and makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and tasteful. <laughs> Because of this, says Sam, I rate this episode 2.5. 2.5! Yeah, somewhere in the middle there, in the massive range that we've got now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very good stuff. Sam, this is excellent. Thank you so much for sending this in. You are going to make a great addition to our range. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much. Very, very happy to be traveling down this temporal road with you. Sam, don't know if you're on Twitter or Insta or any of the others, but if you are, let us know. We'll give you a shout out. Thanks very much. Who's next? You mean just for who's next? That's exactly what I mean. Who's Hello, next just up? for it's who? Just for who? They've written a review. Or just for you. <laughs> nice. Just for who begins? Holy smokes, folks! We're more than halfway through the series. Say what? <laughs> I wholeheartedly think Demons of the Punjab is one of the best episodes of this series. As much as I regret to admit, being a South Asian person, I never knew much at all about the partition of India. It's not just us whiteies. And I think this episode did an incredible job of explaining not only what it was, but how it actually impacted ordinary families and people. Agreed. I also thought having the Thajarians bear witness to those who die alone because of what happened to their species was really beautiful. This episode, continues Just For Who, is also great for character development. Finally, we have a Yaz-focused episode. Sorry, Ryan and Graham, but you're just sort of there for this one. Yaz is brilliant. She's curious, inquisitive, <laughs> I'll say. She wants, to, <laughs> she wants to know the truth and make sense of it all. Oh, shocks if only our other two companions had a personality as well. We also get to explore Yaz's history and culture. Finally, some South Asian representation. Agreed. And how it shapes her into the person she is in our time. Along with arachnids in the UK, Just For Who thinks this episode also starts to build on this idea of a romance between the Doctor and Yaz, albeit retrospectively. For instance, Having the Doctor say, we can't have a universe with no Yaz, feels very symbolic when you remember that the Doctor gets referred to as, quote, the universe in series 12 and 13. Interesting. That is interesting. I wonder if that's intentional or if... Any other companion this week had been in a similar peril, they would have been slotted in in exactly the same way. 
I'm I'm prepared to give Chibbers and the BBC the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they... I, I don't think that it was intentional here in this episode, but I'm willing to believe that later on, towards the end of the, the Chibbers slash Whitaker run, they went back through various references, various scripts, and went, that's something we can call back to. Ah, hence Just For Who saying, albeit retrospectively. Gotcha. Yeah, true. Just For Who continues, Umbreen and Prem being on borrowed time, but still choosing to be together in the moment and live with what they have nicely parallels the Doctor and Yaz's beach conversation at the end of Legend of the Sea Devils. Hmm, I genuinely don't remember that beach conversation. (laughs) I Mm. remember different opinions of (laughs) Legend of the Sea Devils. Can't wait until we get to that one. Nice one. Um, Just For Who has continued, but unfortunately we have now hit the roughly 250 word limit, so I'm going to jump straight to the end, in which Just For Who says, I'd rate this a whopping 4.5 out of 5. Find out why by reading the rest of the review on whobackwhen.com. Nicely signposted. (laughs) Oh yeah. Thank you very much, Just For Who. Who's next? Well, next up, it's... It's G.B. Haynes. I said G, you say P, G, P, G, P. Yeah, that's right. Heinz. <laughs> Hello, GP. <laughs> GP says, Hello, everyone. Well, GP finally got off GP's butt and decided to review another New Who episode. Excellent. I'm really enjoying watching Jodie's first season again. And GP starts the review with, Well, this was a thoroughly enjoyable episode with some excellent dialogue. Finally, Yaz has a good episode with a bit of substance, and both Ryan and Graham were excellent along with the Doctor. Graham had me in stitches when he offered to be the wedding singer, as he knew, quote, all the classics, but they will be the latest hits for you guys. Come on, I want to see that. You know what? That's, I feel, I didn't realize it until I saw it in writing here, but I feel like that's a Back to the Future reference. That's like Monty McFly on stage going, mm. here's something, well, like, your kids are going to love it, whatever he says. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Mm. GP doesn't know where this was filmed. Granada, Spain. But the location settings were just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The story of Prem and Yaz's nanny were quite hard breaking and gp for one enjoyed learning about the history of pakistan slash india of which gp knew zero before this episode the alien subplot was also fine the only thing that didn't add up for me says gp just how old is yaz's nan blimey if she was what 23 at most in 1947 it said she waited for prem during the war meaning she would have been at least 16 in 1939 That makes her roughly 94 or 95 in 2018 when this aired. Jeez, if I look that good at even 75, I'll be happy to scoff all the shop-bought cakes I can manage. (laughs) Great stuff. And what does GP rate this? 4.6 yummy shop-bought cakes. Nice! Excellent! Fantastic rating and a fantastic rating system also employed by Andy Parkinson. Fab, thanks everybody. Thank you very much. Bing bong, future Leon here with, yes, that's right, one more listener mini. This one comes from Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. (laughs) Michael says, occasionally rising from the shit tip of historical who misfires, This show gut-punches us with a trailblazer. A brutal 1940s period piece doomed love and ancient terrors against a backdrop of all-too-human hatred, the horrors of war, and ethnic cleansing. Powerful, emotive, engaging, heartbreaking, horrific. 
But enough of this seventh Doctor's masterpiece, The Curse of Fenric. Let's talk about Demons of the Punjab, which is also pretty good. The most hard-hitting subject matter in Who since, um, Rosa. My beef? The Thijarians. They look cool and are uber-powerful. What a shame they've turned into a bunch of weird pacifists. I want assassin Thijarians zonking around. Their mission is stupid. They're genocide tourists standing by doing nothing. We have UN peacekeeping missions for that. (laughs) Hell, we had British troops doing that during partition. How does creepily stalking people and then watching them die provide any peace? If I was bleeding out, the last thing I would want to see is a freaky spider-eyed alien warthog gawping at me. (laughs) Yeah, I believe we discussed that as well. Nice one, Michael. (laughs) And Michael gives this a rating of 3.6 out of 5 Thajarians loitering, just sort of staring at people. Boo. Michael's also included a little aside, a little PS. Full disclosure, I've already read this many, so brace yourselves for something both heartbreaking and heartwarming. Several years ago, says Michael, I met members of a South Asian extremist, sorry, religious, organization, several of whose members had been associated with murder, of course, nothing to do with the organization. They wore distinctive garments. I asked them to stop being extreme. They said no. On the plane back, somewhat down bees, I broke out the iPad to catch up with who back when's bruising schedule. Next to record was In the Time of Angels. Halfway in, I noticed behind me a father and son wearing the garments of the organization. The father was asleep. The boy of maybe eight years had beaming wide eyes. He was watching the episode in absolute wonder. I shifted the iPad so he could get a better view. I like to think he became an avid Doctor Who fan, ditched the organization and follows your podcast. (laughs) Thank you very, very much, Michael. Excellent mini and a marvellous aside. Uh, People who are not Michael, please do say hello to Michael online. You can be found on Twitter at bad underscore movie underscore club. Thank you very much, Michael. Back to the show. Bing bong. Thanks, everyone in podcast land who sent something in for this podcast episode. Very, very good stuff. Mm -mm. This is not the end of Doctor Who, although this does mark the end of our Demons of the Punjab review. Drew, where are we heading off to next? Next, I believe, we are embarking on a new classic era. That's right. It's the first Colin Baker review. The Twin Dilemma. Oh, very exciting. Very, very exciting. Then uh, at some point, we're also going to drop a new Who review. The next one in line is Kablam! And in the audio channel, the next will be The Gathering. Dying right, it will be. Uh, And at some point, there will be a bonus episode as well. Who knows? It might be the 400th episode Who Back When Family Reunion, as coined by you, Drew. Credit where credit's due. Or perhaps a little uh, other bonus episode that we might record ahead of that. Hmm. Wonder if that's happening this week, in fact. Ooh. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. Can we be found in the meantime? Well, that's a very good question, Drew. I know, I know. That's why I asked it. <laughs> you going to set about answering it or what? Fine, I will. Well, you, <laughs> you can say hello to me on Twitter. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Uh, what about you, Drew? Where can you be found? With no further prevarication, dilation or delay, I can be found at Drew Backwen. <laughs> I don't know what remix of the Minute Waltz should be playing in the background of that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent branding. There's another bonus episode we need to record. That's true. (laughs) Drew, I've had a fantastic evening chatting with you. And Podcast Land, you've been a fantastic audience listening to us all this time. So until the next time, please rock on, be rad and excellent to each other. And cha-chao. Bye-bye. 
Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen, all in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at whobackwhen, all in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao.